Welcome back to Digital Health Unplugged, the podcast in which we take a look at what is making headlines in the world of NHS IT. I'm your host, Andrea Downey, and I'm senior reporter here at Digital Health. Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of Digital Health Unplugged. I am really excited about this episode because we've got the four finalists of this year's Digital Health Rewired Pitch Fest joining us to talk about what it's like working in the health tech startup space and also here to provide you on a little bit of advice on how to make it. Startups isn't something we've spoken about a lot on this podcast before, so I think it's going to be a really fun and interesting discussion. For our listeners who don't know, PitchFest is our annual competition for health tech startups to really cement their place in the NHS. It was held at this year's Digital Health Rewired from the 15th to the 19th of March, and for the second year in a row, we were supported by the CW Innovation Programme at Chelsea and Westminster Hospital. The lucky winner gets the opportunity to test and scale their product at the Trust through the CW Innovation Programme, which is a collaboration between the Trust and its charity arm, CW+. This year, we had more than 120 entries, and our judges had the really tough job of whittling them down to the final 16 for the week of Rewired. During Rewired, they all took part in heat to narrow them down to the final four who battled it out for first place on the last day of the event. Now, I was going to explain to you what each of our finalists were pitching, but I do feel like they'll do a much better job than that than I will. So joining me today are Dr. Mirajula Poor, the CEO of Pepe Health and also the winner of this year's Rewired Pitch Fest 2021, Dr. Daphith Lochran, the CEO of Concentric Health, Dr. Stephen Katave, the Director of Techie Health Solutions, and Dr. Ash Kalreya, CEO of MediShout. Welcome to Digital Health Unplugged, everybody. I'm really excited about this episode. I think it's going to be great. I watched all of your pitches during Rewired. Um, I do enjoy Pitch Fest. It's quite a lot of fun. Um, but I thought it would be best if you explained your own innovations to our audience. So can I ask each of you just to very briefly introduce yourselves and the innovation that you were taking to Pitch Fest? Um, why don't we start with our winner? Thanks, Andrea. So I'm, I'm Rudala. I'm from um, Peppy Health. And what we do is we provide people with convenient, personalised health support during what we call life big challenges. So times in your life, like becoming a new parent, um, trying to conceive or going through the menopause, um, we provide you with access to expert um, health professionals through a variety of means, um, chat, live events, um, really whatever suits you best and, and suits your schedule and your family needs. First of all, thanks very much for having me on today, uh, Andrea. Uh, PitchFest was amazing uh, and an honor to get through to the final. Uh, so my name's Ash. I'm the uh, CEO of a company called MediShout, uh, and I'm an orthopedic surgeon by trade. I've worked in the NHS for 10 years. Uh, the problem we solve at MediShout is that operational issues delay staff and prevent best patient care. You know, I always get delayed by problems such as broken printers and IT, you know, I've cancelled operations because of broken light bulbs. Sometimes I don't have the right kit in theatre. Uh, and I started MediShout to solve this problem three simple ways. First is we have the only app in the whole of healthcare where staff can report and resolve any operational problem, whether it's an HR, estates, equipment, IT issue. Secondly, we collect smart data. So when you report a problem, you'll say what the impact was and those things can get fixed first. And lastly, using AI, we're able to predict problems in advance, such as when your ECG machine or your ventilator might break down. Uh, you know, we've got really good traction with a lot of NHS hospitals and medical equipment suppliers. So it's you know a real honour to be here to uh, speak about MediShout and uh, how PitchFest went for us all. 
Yeah, I'm glad to have you here. Um, Stephen, how about you next? Uh, thank you, and uh, really good to be here. Uh, so my name is Stephen Katabi, and I'm a GP by trade. Uh, so my company is called Techie Health Solutions, um, and uh, our company or startup was really inspired by the need to improve the working life of GPs, um, as well as uh, offering more access to primary care services for patients. So simple problem, um, that's very common. Uh, patients are unable to get um, access to a GP at a time they need it. Currently, it takes about two weeks to get a routine appointment. Doctors are overworked at the same time. Uh, there's not enough um, of them, and we can't recruit enough to replace those that are retiring. So what we do is provide remote diagnostic devices, which we can place in uh, areas such as care homes. So rather than the doctor having to drive and do a visit, which can take an hour just to see one patient, they can actually do that consultation remotely. Uh, and rather than just doing it via video conferencing platform, what we provide is that diagnostic element so they can actually do physical examinations up to about 10 different um, physical examinations. Uh, so the idea is that the, they can improve their efficiency uh, so they're not having to spend an hour to see that patient, which means that the doctors have more time uh, to see patients who do need that physical face-to-face -face appointment. Hi, all. Um, so I'm Dav, uh, similar to Ash, a surgeon by training, and uh, now CEO at Concentric Health. So Concentric is a digital consent to treatment application, um, leading that in, a, in its field now, used in a number of um, NHS trusts and, and private suppliers in the UK and internationally. And what we do is, is to transform how we all make decisions about our health, really focused around that kind of touch point for patient and clinician around consent. So transforming those decisions using patient outcomes to personalise that information, uh, support patients through that decision, and very much support the shared decision between patients and clinicians. So where are you all at in um, the development of your innovation? Are you sort of starting out or are you all at similar levels? Good question. Yeah, I mean, it may be a as, as, the, as, the, as the winner, <laughs> you, can, you can definitely take that. Can I, can, I, can I take that one? I mean, I, I, you know, obviously we're doing very different things here, Andrea, and working with very different stakeholders, which also drives your timeline. So we have, um, like I said, three services that are live today, um, uh, fertility, baby and menopause. And the way that we get those services to people um, are in a couple of different ways. Primarily, we work with employers. So we are working with a bunch of private sector employers across the UK already, and we're going to be starting with public sector employers, including some NHS organizations um, very soon, which is super exciting, Yeah, uh, super exciting. And um, we also do some projects um, more sort of based around testing and developing the service and seeing how it works in the local health ecosystem, which we've done through a series of projects um, funded by people like the National Lottery Community Fund or um, NHSA. And we are, as Concentric, we are one year in, because I've just, just come from writing a blog this morning, um, <laughs> one year in since our first real clinical use. So Congratulations. Building, yeah, that's a big properly. milestone. Yeah, yeah. So we started building kind of properly in terms of you know, the application and the Innovate UK grant funding kind of early 2019. 
Uh, it took us about 12 to, 20, 15, 12 to 15 months to get to first clinical use at Imperial uh, in April 2020, just as, you know, we were mid uh, wave one of COVID and all the complications that that brought. Yeah. Um, but, you know, as, you know, as a group of us, we've all seen how things have changed um, in digital health around COVID. So, you know, those first few months, April, May, June, as everyone was scrambling to work out what, uh, the, the new way of the world would look like um, so we were definitely accelerated quite a bit and so we've just um, passed 7,000 patients uh, this week uh, and that's across you know, five, six NHS trusts um, and uh, you know, 10, 11 private clinics so um, exciting year it's been quite interesting just kind of reflecting on that this morning and, and writing a bit of a blog post of um, trials and tribulations and what has been a you know, quite a fast year really yeah it has been it's it's really interesting to hear um people's journeys um because i i guess things work at different speeds uh for example at medishout technically we're sort of i've been doing this for seven or eight years but it was a pet project for most of that time and then last year we went full-time at the company and did three funding rounds raised a million pounds um, from a, a vc called episode one and you know that's just rapidly accelerated us so Sort of, I look back and think, wow, what, what was I doing for those first six or seven years compared to like last six or seven months? Um, so, you know, we, we've really sort of managed to really grow our team. Uh, you know, the, the, the product is just, in a, you know, it's a 10 times better place than it has been at any stage during the company. And so now we're being used by trusts like Imperial College, Mid and South Essex, um, you know, Royal Papworth Hospital are about to adopt some of our technology. Uh, so it's it's a really good place to be um, for us, and it's it's nice we've kind of gone through that journey of scarcity to like having you know more resources now and being able to like really deliver more to to the hospitals that we're working with. Brilliant. Yes. Yeah, so I would um, I would say COVID has um, been a, a an interesting sort of uh, catalyst for us. Um, of course, it's you know we all understand the challenge um, and the impact it's had on only our lives, but also uh, people who we know. Um, from a business point of view, it's actually accelerated the the, the growth of our company. Uh, so we're currently now operating just over 15 different organizations, which vary mostly NHS trusts. So we've got um, uh, so hospital trusts, we have CCGs, uh, primary care networks, but also some private um, customers like Cisco. And, and we're also doing a very exciting project um, with Imperial College. Um, in addition to that, we've been involved with the uh, Department for International Trade. So we've literally over the past six months um, have gone up abroad everywhere from uh, Silicon Valley. Uh, we've been involved in uh, Norway tech uh, um, industry. We've been uh, to Russia. Uh, wow and going back again to Silicon Valley uh, in the next week or so. And also been very fortunate to have taken part in a competition that was held by Google, um, where they uh, essentially asked various startup companies in Europe to compete for some funding. And we were um, selected for interview, which has been fantastic. Yeah, that's really impressive. And a rival competition on the podcast. So, <laughs> um, so, <laughs> yeah. so 
Obviously, you've all mentioned COVID and how much that's impacted the work that you're doing. Um, And that is something that I wanted to talk to you a bit about today, uh, even though I'm sure we're all really sick of talking about COVID. Um, But I wanted to know what it's like working in the health tech startup space at the moment, because I imagine it's just been absolutely booming since COVID hit because there's been such a demand for new ways of working. Have you found that it's really changed the, you know, the workspace for you guys? Uh, I so at Medisha, I personally would say it's been more extremes. Mm. So COVID has really shone a light on like the problems that probably all of us solve. You know, it, it need to improve efficiencies, make things work, connect systems. So from that from that side, I found that like, the discussions we have, like people are much more receptive to needing digital technology to actually improve services, improve patient care. You know, be more efficient, save money. Uh, but then at the same time, every time we go into a lockdown it then becomes almost impossible um, at times to like either you know do pitches to new customers or implement technology in hospitals because you're not physically allowed to, to step into the hospital. So it's kind of like you can make really rapid progress and then a lockdown hits and then suddenly things can just come to a grinding halt. And so a big challenge of ours is when we come to that grinding halt, you know, making sure that we just maybe slow things down, like slow our burn rates so that we can then go really fast once things open up like they are now. Um, I'd be really interested to hear if that's a similar story to everyone else. Well, that's interesting, Ash. Um, you know, obviously anything where you rely on. Uh, one of the things that we've certainly seen is obviously healthcare teams have been, you know, they go through periods of intense you know, chaos and disruption. And, you know, there isn't the bandwidth, as Ash was saying, to, to take on something new. But that can have, you know, knock-on impacts, certainly for our, our users, because things, you know, one of the first services that get stopped were community-based support networks for, say, new parents, drop-in breastfeeding clinics. Um, menopause clinics are seen as non-urgent and were, you know, on hold, so waiting times have gone up. And that we've found that that's left a lot of people um, stranded and also separated from some of the informal networks where they would gather information about that, whether that's friends, family, uh, family support, you know, during lockdown, they've been missing out on those interactions. And that chance to get get either emotional support or practical advice as well. So we have um, definitely seen a surge from the need that's out there in, in the market um, for any of those you know, fertility clinics and fertility treatments been another huge source of anxiety for people during the lockdown. Ash, as you say, you know, a lockdown happens, you know, everything stops. Um, people get extremely anxious. But I think the other big thing has been in, you know, receptivity to remote uh, and virtual services has just, you know, it's been transformed. It's been accelerated probably, you know, a, a five years or so in the course of, and it really happened only within just a course of three or four months. Um, Duffy, did you see something similar in terms of consenting? And Yeah, so I think my, my reflection of it was that, um, yeah, and, and kind of similar to, to Ash's story. So consenting was a very much a, you know, a side project, a, a bedroom project of, you know, a couple of us and just, clinical entrepreneurs for a couple of years and then we brought things together and then you know by hook or by crook we got that first funding and, and then you're kind of away and um, and for for those years you know we've been talking about the benefits in terms of digital consent in terms of patients having you know, easy access to their personalized information you know all this kind of stuff re- reducing medical legal risks for the organization you know all of those kind of good things but and there were lots of organizations who kind of got that but couldn't quite get over the line to say okay yes we're gonna we're gonna really do a rollout of this and we're gonna deploy it we're gonna spend money on it etc and what we saw was you know sometimes 
you just need you need a need rather than a want to make things really happen. So suddenly, as Medulla says, you know, within uh, you know a couple of weeks, basically, you suddenly had a scenario where surgeons had moved to um, remote clinics, were needed to keep their you know urgent cancer services and, and surgeries going through that first wave, and were suddenly faced with a scenario where they are sat in a consulting room, virtually going through a kind of pre-op assessment, you know, consent conversation with a patient, and they'd be like, oh, at this point, I would usually kind of take you through a consent form and get you to sign the form, but I'm here and you're there. And, and it was just one of those, it's such a kind of an obvious thing, and suddenly what had been the previous process was simply impossible, and then you start, you know, unlocking all the other benefits that we've been talking about for years. So, you know, I think that's one of the reflections for me is that there can be all these, you know, nice things and things that people want, but often, you know, certainly in terms of the NHS, it's that need. It's like I literally cannot do that old process that needs you to get, you know, over that line. Yeah, that's really interesting that, yeah, the, the need over want, the transition of things that were a want now suddenly become a need in a pandemic. Um, and the fact that healthcare has just changed uh, immeasurably. Yeah, I, I'd echo that as well. So, you know, as a GP, <clears throat> we were doing uh, probably less than 10% um, remote consultations. When I say remote, really, it was mostly telephone and a little bit of uh, video, but not many people were engaged in that. And course pandemic comes and suddenly people start to see uh, the need for this and we had been talking about working remotely obviously prior to the pandemic and uh, particularly when within the care home sector so as I'm sure most people know in that first wave uh, almost 50 percent um, of the deaths that occurred due to covid were happening in care homes so there was a desperate need to try and provide um, healthcare to this sort of really vulnerable group of people. And that's where we stepped in because, you know, we, we, we have the, the means. The technology was never the problem. It was just really about getting people to, to understand and see why this is important. And, of course, um, you know, it's, it's been, it's been a, an interesting journey. It has been a year, hasn't it? Um, yeah, <laughs> there's many absolutely. words to describe it. Some maybe not fit yeah. for the podcast, um, but it's, that was really interesting to hear all of your experiences of it. I think what I picked up the most on is obviously the fact that the technology is there. It's just all of a sudden it had to be used. Um, and a lot of talk about, you know, remote monitoring, remote care, which is something we've moved forward through leaps and bounds in the last year. Um, so Let's, I want to talk a little bit about your experience in the health tech startup space now. So do you think there are any kind of emerging trends or like anything in particular that's going to be sort of the big place to be working in the next couple of years outside of the pandemic? I, yeah, I mean, look, I, I actually don't have one answer to that because I'm sure everyone would have a difference of opinion. And it's hard not to be biased to think the thing you're working on is going to be the next big thing, <laughs> yeah. the big part of healthcare. Um, but I, I would just say like a general thing, and it's maybe slightly cliched when we talk about the NHS, like things that integrate well with existing systems. So I think anything where you're not adding to complexity, but you're sort of simplifying the complexity while solving problems, I think those things are always going to be looked at more favorably. Um, and that could be whether you're looking at, you know, clinical stuff, patient stuff, operational things, you know, just across the board um 
I, I personally find, you know, those kind of conversations when, when you are simplifying systems and you're integrating nice and easily, you definitely go, seem to go further. But it's interesting, isn't it? Because I completely agree with you, Ashton. Previously, I'd say pre-COVID, you had to kind of think of, assume that the rest of the ecosystem was pretty much going to stay static or slow moving. (laughs) And you would be the one sort of driving change in your little corner. Um, And I think what COVID has changed is actually, I think it's now reasonable to expect that there's going to be movement across the board um, you know, not just the NHS or any, any healthcare system, but that people are willing to look at, you know, completely different new models of care, whether we think about sort of what, some, what people have been doing with outpatients, for example, and, you know, have much higher acceptability of tools like the ones that Ash is developing and Duffett's developing. So I think that assumption has changed for health tech and that makes it an even more exciting place to be now. Yeah, I... You know, it's very hard, as I said, very hard to not to be biased. Uh, but um, you know, from our from our perspective, I guess our, our the, the big vision for us has always been about how can we change um, the way healthcare is delivered to not just people in the UK, but it's you know on a global scale. Uh, you know, almost half of the world's population that does not have access to essential medical services, which is crazy. Um, and we have the technology that enables uh, us to really reduce that number. So I can give a personal experience, certainly during COVID. Um, I have a relative who lives in the Congo, um, which is obviously a poor country. And she had a medical uh, problem that needed solving. Now, she was able to see um, a liver specialist in London who arranged for her to have blood tests, ultrasound scans, et cetera, in Congo. And all of that was done by email, right? Something as simple as an email. Um, so the technology is there. Um, COVID, what COVID did, it, it allowed us to see that this was possible because often I think, particularly as clinicians, we are very resistant to techie things because you know, we worry about uh, you know, privacy and, and all these other things. These are the really important things. But COVID forced us to say, no, actually, this is possible. It can be done. And, you know, I don't think, certainly, you know, I would have been able to to arrange this, uh, you know, appointment for my aunt pre-COVID. But at the time, you know, that's that's the way um, outpatients were being organized. You know, clinicians were working from home or working from wherever. So I think that's, that's the... The, the next step is really to start to say, well, look, what else can we do remotely? And there are lots of lots of things, I think, and that's where we're, we're certainly excited. Yeah. Do you think there's a little bit more room for innovation and flexibility with startups than there would be with like big tech conglomerates? Like, do you get, because I often hear the, the phase, the phrase, sorry, like being able to fail fast. Is there sort of flexibility in the fact that as a startup, you can kind of test the waters and see how things go? So, so I was going to answer that in a reasonably similar way to the previous question. So, um, you know, if you ask about a product category that's going to be the next big thing, I think it's very difficult to say that. But in a similar way to what Ash has said in, around you know, interoperability and kind of an approach rather than a product, you know, I think it's we can be reasonably confident the next few years will similarly to the last 12 months be a 
period of quite a lot of you know change and flex and you know what I would like to see and I think the, the best way to manage that you know, that change not necessarily chaos but change is to have small you know hyper-functioning teams focusing on you know little areas little niche areas are uh, you know, really really responsive to the needs of that changing you know view and you know, what's what's going on in, in the space in a way that you know a single big EHR that's looking at kind of doing the whole thing it's incredibly difficult for them to flex in 50 different ways you know every month as it were so you know if we get to a point where we have you know, lots of hyper-functioning small teams you know, like you know, four teams on, on this podcast then it allows us to say you know whatever whatever comes in the next you know two three four five years actually we're so close to that problem we're so close to our customers i mean i had someone um emailed me earlier saying uh, can you can you bleep me so that we can have a chat like often these teams think we're like in the organization because we're so close to them and you know speak to the vast majority of our you know, actual end users that it's very easy for us to say do you know what what we thought you know two months ago actually that's that's not what we should be doing now so let's let's change and flex and and similarly you know, each of the other three on, on, on this podcast will be doing exactly the same thing. So we just flex and merge and, and you know, shimmy together and along that journey in a, in a way that you just couldn't imagine a big EHR being able to do. Yeah. I, Andrew, I'd quite like to answer your question by also um, going back to a point Miradula made. Um, uh, and she said, you know, healthcare is moving so fast. And effectively, there's now more uncertainty now than ever any time before. So I find it like a really interesting, it's a really interesting time to be a startup in the space. So on one hand, as a startup, it's the best time to be in healthcare because, you know, you're able to be agile. Uh, you know, you can ride waves. You know, for us, we, we pivoted our technology to allow, you know, healthcare staff to put their lateral flow test data or do their COVID risk assessments. And that's been amazing for us. But then I think that the flip side of that is that it, it does bring higher risk, um, I guess, for all companies, but especially for startups. So if you don't have the resources to be able to pivot and solve the current challenges now, you'll get left behind, your, you know, your cash flow will run out, and then you know, your company could die quite easily. So you know, I, I certainly feel really lucky that we got funding when we did, because it allowed us to sort of really pivot and solve these new challenges. And so yeah, it's like, again, it kind of comes back to like a huge opportunity, but maybe potentially high risk at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. I'd, I'd completely agree with that, Ash, because as you, you know, you and as David was saying, you know, you have to go with the customers. And as a small startup, yes, you are able to move more nimbly, but you also have to because it's a matter of survival. You know, for a bigger organization, you could probably take your time about it. You know, the organization will still be here next month. Whereas, you know, the startup founder, I'm sure we've all had that experience where you're not completely sure the organization's still going to be there next month. Yeah. Well, that. That leads me very nicely on to asking you all what your advice would be for others that are looking to enter the health tech startup space or for those that have just started and are looking to really develop their solution. What would you suggest to them? So I really like the, the, the model that um, you know, Ash and I have both talked about of being kind of in the system, play with it, kind of just get to, and, and, and Stephen, again, you know, same kind of scenario for yourself, you know, 
sit in that system, play with it. Often kind of it's a bedroom project, it's a, it's a side project for a long time. Um, because you just learn from that experience, you learn from that time. Um, and being right in there, you know, if we we would all watch lots of you know head tech startups, um, and you know often we would look at them and go, you know, what are these? What what are they doing? That doesn't make any sense to me as a as a clinician perspective, you know, potentially. Um, and so very, you know, often as a as a clinician to go right in that setting, you can tell within a millisecond whether something makes sense or not, or you know, without value and, and stuff. And, and just sitting with that idea and playing and being right in it and just 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 ha- having it being your kind of bedroom project um means i think that it's it's impossible not to be kind of you know wedded to the problem as it were you know rather than rather than solution so i really like that model of saying saying to clinicians and and people in the health you know in healthcare say you know don't you don't need to be thinking about kind of jumping out to doing a startup kind of from day one. Just just find ways of playing with the two alongside each other. Embrace that. And then maybe at some point it makes sense to, to, to jump out. But it's just just really having comfort in that in that space of doing both, playing with both, see what comes, learn from that. Uh, and and I got to echo that. I mean, I, I love being an NHS uh, clinical entrepreneur fellow. It's meant that I've got to meet people like Dafford. I've learned from him. You know, through Pitchfest, I've now met Mirodula and Stephen. I'm learning from them. Um, so the journey is absolutely amazing. Uh, my own personal advice, I'll just give, I mean, we could all probably write you know, chapters and books about different advice, but I'll, I'll just say I'll give two. Um, one, inward, one inward way of thinking and one outward way of thinking. So inwardly, I would say just keep persevering. Like if you know you can solve a problem in healthcare and have an impact, you're going to have probably a lot more knockbacks than people actually, you know, adopting your technology or, or you know, funding you or whatever i think this time last year i'd made i think 50 applications for like funds and accelerators and i only had two successes whereas you know then we did three funding rounds and we're on the microsoft accelerator and nhs innovation accelerator so you know things can suddenly move really quickly so just i'd say just keep persevering like failure is absolutely acceptable as long as you learn from it and keep going so that's the inward way of you know, the mindset that i think you need and having outwardly what you really need to do is build a great team around you so one of the pivotal moments for us was we hired um, our chief product officer called Ali Bassoon. He's now like a late co-founder. Uh, he was head of product at a company called Touch Surgery. They were acquired last year by Medtronic for something like hundreds of millions of pounds. So his ability to come into the team and, and lead our product has just taken us to a completely different level and allows us to really expand and solve more challenges in healthcare. So yeah, I'll say inwardly, you know, just be really headstrong and keep going and outwardly make sure you've got a great team around you of different skill sets. I think I'm the only non-clinical um, founder here, and I would kind of echo what some of Dafford said because we have a we have an amazing clinical leadership team at Pepe, and I think just having really solid respect for that if you are coming from a non-clinical background and understand. I think health is one area where you know the problems are clear to all of us as just you know people individuals with loved ones uh having health problems either of our own or or seeing other people go through them but i think you do need to have a very healthy respect and uh, either build an understanding or surround yourself with the understanding of um what the status quo is before you start trying to you know trying to make wave a magic wand four things i'll probably say um First is uh, clarity. Uh, I think have 
be very clear about what the problem is that you're trying to solve and how and understand how big this problem is. Ideally, you know, you want to try and solve a problem that affects lots of people. Uh, otherwise, it's, it's much more difficult when it's, it's, it's a very niche um, sort of issue. Uh, secondly, would be um, funding. Money is always an issue if you, when you're a startup. Um, look, at, look at grant funding options. Um, so we, we applied for um, Innovate UK funding. Again, you know, when we started, we were terrible. Could, you know, couldn't write a, an application to save our lives. But with practice, we got better. And then we just started winning one after the other. Uh, and it's a really great way, particularly if, you, if you're trying to test something, and you're not entirely sure it's going to work. If you can get some money to do some feasibility studies, you know, that's great. Um, so um, look at grant funding options. Uh, number three, mentors. Really, really important to have people who have got some experience either in the particular field that you're in or just people who understand business. Um, so make sure you connect with people like that. And the easiest way we found to do that was attending conferences, you know, startup conferences, etc. It's much easier to plug in and, and get to know people. And I think the last thing I'd say is um, fail fast. Don't be afraid of failure. Um, and make sure you're nimble that when you do make a mistake, you can adjust and move forward. Don't try to be perfect all the time. Uh, the quote I've, I always live by is, done is better than perfect because perfect never gets done. Well, that was all excellent advice. I'm sure that everyone listening will take that on board. Um, but I obviously cannot let you all leave without talking about Pitchfest and how you found it. Um, so I just wanted to ask, first of all, what was your experience of the competition and how important are competitions like Pitchfest to really get your innovation and your product visible to others? Why don't we start with our winner since you took the crown? <laughs> well, thank you. Um, I mean, the co competitions in general, I mean, they're huge. As a startup, you are a nobody, right? Until until you are, you know, so people start to know who you are. So it's just a wonderful, they're wonderful opportunities to get your name out there, to get what you're doing out there. And um, Pitchfest in particular had a, such an amazing panel and such amazing participation because of the... Um, because of it being part of the conference as well, that I felt like it suddenly expanded my network quite significantly. Everybody from, you know, the team at Boots uh, to uh, CW Plus, um, who we just, you know, we started now doing some scoping work with for our project with them. Um, and yeah, it's 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 a wonderful uh, platform to to basically showcase what the work you're doing is to an incredible audience and to, you know, meet other people and hear about, and actually this is not a trivial thing, hear what other people are doing as well, because you can get a bit lost in your own world. Um, and so it's, it's fantastic to hear just, you know, other people pitching and seeing what else is going on in your space and, you know, get to meet some of the founders. Um, Pitchfest is amazing. It's the second, fortunately for us, the second time we've been able to um, present at Pitchfest and to get to the final uh, with, you know, three amazing startups was an honor, but you know, all the companies that were involved were absolutely amazing. So we were really privileged. Um, and to be honest, I love all of digital health events, you know, I try to go to summer school every year. Uh, I promise I haven't been paid to say any of this. <laughs> I was just about yeah. to say, just, yeah, just disclosing we've not paid Ash to say any of absolutely this. Absolutely <laughs> full disclosure. And to be honest, like, uh, you know, overall things that I've, not just from Pitchfest, but from summer school as well, you know, network has been amazing for us. Um, understanding what's happening in the system because like Marjorie said earlier, healthcare is moving so fast Like you need to be talking to the right people to understand the trends. Brand awareness, um, exactly that's been said. 
uh, and learning, you know, just learning from from our peers. Um, you know, I, it's been absolutely so helpful for us over the years. So yeah, re- really glad to be involved. And thank you again to the whole team. Yeah, just to echo that from my perspective. So I think it's um, slightly unusually actually that um, it generated quite a lot of things post the final. So you know, we'd have all done pictures and, and kind of finals of things and often you kind of do it and then that's that's the end and it doesn't kind of go anywhere. But actually we've had quite a few follow-up conversations and, and joined a couple of things off the back of that. Um and, and part of that is because they seem seemed like a really engaged panel of judges. Um, kind of unusually so so that was um, amazing and um, and as Ash says you know the network is absolutely perfect for us it's you know it's CIOs it's CNOs it's, it's exactly who we need to be talking to as as startups around you know, for, for decision makers in these big big organizations so um yeah it, uh, it takes the crown of uh, of pitch competitions for me at the moment <laughs> That's great. Again, we're not paying anyone on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I'd I'd say that you know it's it obviously it's been it's been a very very good um, thing to take part in competitions like this. They're useful. Two things I I think one as a startup you want visibility, you want people to know who you are. Um, so think I always think of them as almost like a marketing activity. You know, even if you don't get to the finals, the fact that you somebody has read your application, you you never know who um, we'll, you'll be able to connect with. Um, secondly, it's always good to be challenged on what it is that you're doing. So when you have people, either industry experts or those who work in healthcare who are actually asking you really difficult questions, it helps you to solidify what it is that you're doing or maybe even just alter and change things based upon those, those questions. So it's been a really good good experience. Yeah, I'm so glad that you all enjoyed it. Um, I don't want to sound like I'm biased, but Pitchfest is one of my favourite parts of Rewired. It's always, I always find it really interesting and there's such there's, there's such an incredible amount of innovations out there. And like, it's things that you don't even think about either that you just think, oh, that's such a cool idea. Like, it, yeah, I find it fascinating. Um, and I'm really looking forward to it being back in person because as fun as it was doing it virtually, and I think it was done really well, it's really fun when you're actually at the event watching people pitch like to the time and like they've got their three minutes to get their ideas across it's just it's so much fun um so I'm glad you enjoyed it and I'm really glad that you were able to join me on the podcast as well um but unfortunately that is all we do have time to talk about uh so Maridula, Daph, Stephen and Ash thank you so much for joining us um really really enjoyed it and of course to all of our listeners thank you so much for tuning in Don't forget the Digital Health Unplugged is published fortnightly on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and the usual podcast channels. So please do give us a follow on your favorite platform to keep up to date with what we're doing. And if you have a podcast suggestion, we would love to hear it. You can get in touch on podcast at digitalhealth.net. That's it for this episode. We'll catch you in two weeks time. You've been listening to Digital Health Unplugged. We hope you enjoyed this episode. For more episodes or to keep up to date with what Digital Health Unplugged is doing, you can give us a follow on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast channel. If you want to know more about Digital Health, our news and events, you can head on over to digitalhealth.net.